Having embarked on a spiritual journey, time and again we find ourselves confronted with the fact that we are not flowing with the mainstream. Our spiritual quest is not an activity or a topic that is promoted or supported by the large advertising companies. Trying to integrate our spiritual life into our daily lives, we find ourselves swimming against the stream. In German, we have this saying, nur tote Fische schwimmen mit dem Strom. In English, it means only dead fish swim with the stream. If we look around in the world, dead fishes far outnumber those fishes which are alive and alert. Therefore, it's only natural that we want to be in the company of those fishes which are alive and alert. It's just like in the story of Venerable Shariputta and Venerable Mogalana when they left their teacher in order to join the Buddha. Before they become monks under the guidance of the Buddha, they were the students of a teacher called Sanjaya. But they were not fully satisfied with their teacher's doctrine and so they were still looking for somebody who had found the deathless. One day, Upatissa, who was later to become Venerable Shariputta, he met the Venerable Asaji, who was one of the Buddha's monks. And being very much impressed by his demeanor and by his serene face, he asked him who his teacher was and what the teaching was about. And so Venerable Asaji said that the Buddha was his teacher and then he recited a short verse upon which, hearing which, um, Upadisa became a stream enterer. So then he went back and told his friend Kolita, who was later to become Venerable Mogalana, that in the Buddha's teaching, there was a means um, for deliverance to be accomplished. And so he told him about his encounter with Venerable Asaji and also told him that first. And also at that time, Kolita became established in the fruit of stream entry. So then together they went to their teacher Sanjaya and told him that a Buddha had appeared in the world and so they invited their teacher to um, go and see the Buddha. But Sanjaya refused to go and offered them to be the co-leaders of their community, saying how much fame and praise they could gain in such a position. But the two friends, they refused and said that they wouldn't mind to remain students or pupils. And so they told their teacher, you must decide for yourself whether you want to come or not. And so with this statement, Sanjaya realized that the two of them wouldn't listen to him anymore, wouldn't recognize him anymore as a teacher. And so he said, so then you may go, but I cannot. And so the two friends asked, why not? And San Sanjaya and, uh, replied, I am a teacher of many. I have many students. I am well known and my praise has spread far and wide. I cannot become a pupil, a student anymore. 
And still the two friends urged him to come and see the Buddha because it was such a rare opportunity for a Buddha to appear in the world. And again, Sanjaya said, my friends, what do you think? Are there more fools in this world or are there more wise people? And so they answered, there are many, many fools, but the wise are very rare. And so Sanjaya then said, if that is so, my friends, then the wise will go to the wise recluse Gautama and the fools will come to me, the fool. You may go now, I will not come. So to speak with Sanjaya, the wise will come to the forest refuge where the Buddhist teaching is still available and the fools will stay at the place of their own preference. When we engage in intensive meditation practice, it's a great and invaluable support to be in a place where other people are doing the same thing. Also the Buddha stressed the importance of having good friends or staying together with like-minded people. Once the Venerable Ananda approached the Buddha and said, isn't it so that half of the spiritual life is to have good friends? And the Buddha then replied, do not say so, Ananda. To have good friends is not only half of the spiritual life, but it is the whole spiritual life. All of you have come here to spend a certain time in intensive meditation practice and practicing meditation all day long. Among the advantages to do a retreat here and not go off to a cabin up in the mountains or in the desert, among the advantages is the fact that you are surrounded and supported by Kalyana Mittas, by good spiritual friends. You have teachers who guide and support you in your practice, and you have fellow meditators who are a visible and constant inspiration for your practice. Their presence alone can be uplifting and encouraging especially in times when the practice is not going very well or not going the way we want it to be. Even though the number of the meditators who are meditating here now is not very high, we still can um, get a great amount of support and inspiration when we turn the mind into the right direction and develop a wholesome mental attitude. With the opening of our hearts, we become more sensitive and, as a result, also more vulnerable. Generally speaking, we are very good and quick at seeing the negative qualities of another person or situation. We are so skilled in finding faults and then put the blame out there. This can be the rice that wasn't properly cooked and gives us digestive problems in the afternoon sit. Or it can be a meditator living next door or upstairs who is a bit noisier than we think he or she should be. Instead of getting caught up with discontent or ill will, we simply could remember that there is another side to it 
and be happy about the fact that we have such a great variety of food from which we can choose and which will nourish our body and give us the necessary strength for our practice. Or we can rejoice at this, what we think, a little bit noisy meditator. Rejoice at his good intention and commitment to come here, to stay here and practice meditation in order to purify his or her mind and heart. We not only see and look for faults in other person or situations, but we are also experts in finding faults with ourselves. We can be so harsh or even cruel with ourselves, condemning and blaming the qualities that we think we shouldn't have. And this can pull us really down and make us feel quite miserable. And it can further lead to low self-esteem and even to depression. Again here, instead of unnecessarily dwelling on these negative qualities, uh, we could turn the mind around and look at those good and wholesome qualities that we are endowed with. Or at least we could become aware of a good or helpful action that we had performed and then feel happy about the fact that we had done something which was helpful or beneficial. It can be such a small act as holding the door open as we enter the dining hall for the person which follows behind. Or even looking at the cups and plates in the shelf, you could feel happy and delighted about the fact that they are now clean and nicely put back and ready for the next time when people uh, use it. Rather than dwelling that dishwashing and putting back the dishes takes such a long time and therefore the time for formal sitting or walking meditation is reduced, we simply could turn the mind around and look at it from a different angle, look at it from a different perspective. In a book about the life of a Taiwanese bhikkhuni called Cheng Yin, I found the story of Lin Mei. She is a 53-year-old 53, 53 woman who is suffering from polio since the age of two. And on top of that, at the age of 43, she got the rheumatic fever. And as a result, she lost the ability to speak intelligibly. Lin Mei lives in a very small apartment and has to be cared for by a nurse, which comes every day and also prepares the meals for her. Lin Mei gets a small pension from the government and whatever is left at the end of the month, she donates it to the bhikkhuni Cheng Yin to support her many um, projects that she has, especially in the field of healthcare. So in Lin Mei's own words, she says, giving is such a joyful thing. Knowing that I can give at the month's end, that makes me feel strong and happy for the rest of the time. Remember that Lin Mei is not able to walk and her ability to speak is very limited. So there would be plenty of opportunity to dwell on her suffering and bad 
fortune and consequ consequently feel miserable or depressed. But she has developed a positive mental outlook and despite of her unfortunate situation, she spends her days happily and joyfully. Isn't it so that as human beings we strive to attain happiness and we avoid to be confronted with suffering? Despite our sincere efforts, we never get it quite right. Even though we might attain some happiness at some time, we definitely are confronted with distress or unsatisfactoriness, with suffering as well. And when we are overcome with unsatisfactoriness or suffering, be that our own or the suffering of others, then our minds are pulled down by this misery and often we react with anger, despair, distress, hatred, ill will, aversion, self-pity or worry. There is suffering around in this world. That's a fact that we have no doubt about it. The Buddha deeply realized the consequences of this fact and therefore he stated it as the first noble truth. Dukkha Satcha is the noble truth of suffering. If we haven't come yet to a profound understanding of this truth through our personal direct experience in meditation practice, then the whole setup of the Buddhist teaching might look a bit depressing. Before ordaining as a nun, I once attended a retreat in Dharamsala in India. It was a retreat in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition and the teacher was a Western uh, Tibetan nun. She talked extensively about the suffering as, uh, as a human being and she also gave lengthy descriptions of the sufferings in the lower realms and also telling the many unwholesome effects of immoral deeds. After about three or four days, another participant of the retreat it was a Swiss man who had never done a retreat before. So, queuing up for lunch, he asked me, is this Buddhism? Is it all just about suffering? Isn't there any other aspect to it? And so I reassured him that there were other aspects to it but that the nun, for whatever reasons, didn't talk about them. In our endeavor to achieve lasting happiness, we must sow the seeds for happiness to arise. Generally speaking, happiness arises by performing wholesome and beneficial actions and these are actions of body, speech and mind which neither harm ourselves nor inflict suffering on other living beings. Wholesome and beneficial actions, they foster well-being, happiness, joy, contentment, peace, harmony and trust. In the five precepts, we have very clear guidelines of what is considered to be wholesome and what not. We are all familiar with these five precepts, so I don't need to go further into this. One of the qualities 
or mental states that is considered to be wholesome and which can contribute a lot to our happiness is rejoicing. Rejoicing means that in witnessing or hearing about somebody's happiness or success, our minds naturally will also feel happy and delighted. Instead of being jealous when somebody gets a huge fortune, we can wholeheartedly feel happy about the other person's good luck and so fully rejoice in her happiness without the slightest uh, feeling of resentment. Rejoicing is a congratulatory attitude that can be joyous and happy at the success and happiness of others. Its main aim is to free the mind from jealousy and envy. In the late 80s, I was traveling in Indonesia and hopping from one island to another. And one afternoon, I decided to wash all my clothes that I had in my backpack. Among the clothes, after I, after I had washed them, I hung them up in the backyard of the little guest house and then I went for a little walk into the village. In the late afternoon, I returned to the guest house and went to the backyard to get my clothes. When I turned around the corner, I saw that the line was almost empty, which meant that most of my clothes had gone. Among the clothes that I washed, there was a pair of pants, which I liked very much. I had bought them in Sydney, in Australia, on a very famous street market. They were hand-painted and they were quite a unique piece. So then my first reaction was, oh, my beautiful pants, gone, what a pity. Who dared to steal them? But then immediately a second thought arose. Hmm, may the person who has these pants now be happy with them. May she or he delight in these unique pants. This incident showed me very clearly that the reaction to a certain event makes such a huge difference. For the first few moments, I was stuck with feelings of loss, resentment, ill will, blame. And therefore, I was suffering. I felt miserable. But then, with the spontaneous arising of the second thought, uh, the world looked completely different. I was feeling great joy and happiness and therefore, I was content, I was happy. The fact or the condition was the same. My clothes had gone. And in that very moment of discovery, I had no means to get them back on the spot. They were gone. But depending on my mental attitude, or reaction, I could either create misery and distress for myself, or I could create a mental, a positive mental attitude resulting in happiness. Joy and happiness were just one thought away from distress and suffering. Rejoicing in others' happiness and success is a great way of making ourselves happy and delighted as well. But true and genuine joy in others' success and happiness is not so easy. Often our initial joy 
becomes corrupted or tainted with thoughts of envy, jealousy, ill will, or resentment. In our struggle for survival and happiness, it seems to be difficult when others are better off than we. It's difficult to accept when they are more successful, when they are richer, when they are healthier, or when they are more respected. Instead of seeing our fellow human beings as allies, we see them only as enemies which need to be conquered and outdone. And on this basis, it's very difficult for sympathetic joy to arise. When we constantly compare ourselves with others, better, worse, more or less, then we only increase the gap between ourselves and others. And instead of sympathetic joy, we only foster and strengthen more negative or unwholesome mental states. Boundless joy is neither judging nor comparing ourselves with others. Alone the fact that the other person is healthy, happy, uh, that is sufficient that we can fully rejoice in the other person's fortunate situation. It's easier to rejoice in a person whom we like or who is dear to us than to rejoice into the success of a person we do not like or whom we even hate. So if we do not like a person for whatever reasons, if we have feelings of animosity towards this person, then it's really a challenge to feel uh, happy or delighted when this person is successful or happy. Imagine that such a disliked person is praised in front of a large audience or that she or he gets a prize awarded. So in this moment, can we put the cause for our ill will or dislike aside and fully rejoice in this person's happiness and success? In our limited view and understanding, we have the feeling that there is only a limited amount of happiness and joy around in this world. Therefore, when others are happy or successful, it means that our share has been reduced. That is one of the reasons why our joy is often tainted with the worry whether there is still enough happiness around for ourselves. We think that it would be better if the amount of happiness and success of the other person were a bit reduced so that there was more left for ourselves. But in fact, the opposite is the case. Sympathetic joy multiplies and strengthens the already existing joy and happiness. And this is true for both sides the person who is happy, and the person who rejoices in that happiness. Again, in German, there is the saying, geteilte Freude is doppelte Freude, which means shared joy is double joy. Some of you might know or heard about Albert Schweitzer, who was a doctor and established a hospital in the midst um, of Africa at the beginning of the last century. And he said, happiness is the only thing in this world that is doubled, if only it is shared. 
In the traditional Asian Buddhist countries, the sharing of merits belongs to the fundamental practices of every Buddhist. After carrying out a wholesome deed, such as practicing generosity or practicing meditation, listening to a Dhamma talk or helping in a monastery or meditation center, or doing any wholesome deed, then the merit or the positive energy created by that wholesome act is shared with other living beings. This practice can help to counter the wrong belief that there is only a limited amount of happiness and success around in this world. It shares us that by actually sharing our wholesome qualities, the joy is not only doubled, but uh, many times multiplied. But somehow this goes against the grain. If we share something or if we give something away, how can we profit? However, this is exactly what happens and what the Buddha taught. By sharing our merit, our merit increases. The beings with whom we share our merits can range from a single person to all living beings. This can be a specific person, like a friend of ours, which is not feeling so well, or our deceased grandmother. Or it can be all living beings without any restrictions. As we are aware of our merit or the positive energy that has been uh, created, we can share and dedicate it with words like this. May the merit of this deed be shared with all sentient beings so that they can become fully liberated. The sharing and dedicating of a wholesome deed can be formulated in different ways. The most important thing is that we choose words which are meaningful to us. We share the merit in the recognition of the fact that our spiritual practice is never done for us alone. In whatever belief we are rooted, our spiritual practice can never be isolated from our fellow human beings or from other living beings. The act of sharing can bring this understanding back if we should have forgotten it. Once we had a foreign meditator who came to practice meditation at our center, our forest center in Burma. And he asked me why everywhere in monasteries or meditation centers one can see these inscriptions on walls, on buildings, on pots for drinking water, or even on furniture. And this is done when somebody offers part of a building or building or this water pot, then the donor's name is um, inscribed on that particular piece. And so I told him that it was for other people to rejoice in the donor's good deed. He looked at me unbelievingly, saying that this couldn't be true. He said that such a thing could only be done out of pride to show off and to let other people know how generous one had been. So I tried to explain him the virtue of rejoicing and that it was still a practice that people practice in Burma. But 
all my explanations didn't convince him that there could be such a noble state of mind. Caught in his own limited experience and understanding, there was simply no room in his mind for such a thing to exist and to be true. Steeped in our delusion, we see ourselves as separate entities which are fundamentally different from others and therefore this entity needs to be cared for and looked after. And so with that the success or happiness of another being becomes a threat for us and the immediate reaction is one of jealousy or envy. We cannot stand when others are better, richer, more intelligent uh, or more beautiful than ourselves. And sometimes it even happens that we project qualities into somebody which actually, uh, which he or she doesn't actually has. For example, in the beginning of my meditation practice, I often caught myself looking around in the meditation hall and being jealous of all those yogis sitting there still without moving. I thought they were all having uh, very blissful meditations without any pain. It was only later that I came to realize that first of all this wasn't true and secondly that my envy was only based on an il illusion that had nothing to do with reality whatsoever. Avarice and stinginess are tormental states that, become, that can become an obstacle for the cultivation of appreciative joy. If our mind is filled with these unwholesome states, then we hold on to the things that we possess or we even hide them because we are afraid that we would have to share them with others. What we have, what we know, what we own should only belong to us. We are jealous uh, when others have them or possess them or know such a thing. And often if they are better off or if they can afford a holiday on the maladies or if they can buy some new furniture for their garden, then we are envious of them. So being overcome with avarice and stinginess, not wanting to share, this opposes the arising of sympathetic joy, which has the ability to fully and genuinely rejoice in the happiness or success of other beings. Other unwholesome factors which are obstacles for sympathetic joy to arise is aversion and boredom. Aversion is an expression of the closed heart and from our own experience we only know too well how painful it is when our hearts are closed and when we are separated from other living beings. And still this happens again and again. And so this prevents us from seeing the good qualities in another person. Sometimes our hearts are closed not because of aversion, but because there is a disinterest in what is happening. 
in this state, we are just not interested what is going on in us and around us. The mind is dull and lazy and completely oblivious of what is going around, what is happening around us. In this dull and lazy state, we miss all the moment, little moments and events of daily life in which we could rejoice. Couldn't it be a cause for joy and delight to arise when we see the little girl feeding the swans in the pond? Or couldn't it be a little event of rejoicing when our neighbor comes back from the hairdresser with a new stylish cut, haircut. If we could overcome this dullness and go through life with an awakened, alert mind everywhere and anytime, we can notice things which can arouse joy and happiness. Rejoicing is a way of developing and strengthening a wholesome attitude of the mind. And it doesn't require a lot of theoretical knowledge, and it also doesn't require to go into a long and intensive retreat. It's the simple ability to see the good things in life and other persons or beings. Even while relaxing, or taking a rest, we can gain great merit at no cost by simply recalling the happiness or success of another being and then fully and genuinely rejoice in it. What is needed to do so is a shift in our attitude and understanding and then remember it throughout the day. Each little incident or encounter with a person or an animal can be a cause for joy to arise. We just need to look from the right angle or from the right perspective. In the meditation centers in Burma, it is custom that people from outside sometimes come and offer a meal. Sometimes then they bring their friends and relatives, and this can be a bit noisy at times. When I was sitting in the meditation hall, I would hear a group of people walking past the meditation hall, talking and laughing. And sometimes there would be even kids running about and uh, at times even almost screaming. In the early stages of my practice, I would get all upset and sitting on my cushion, I would give these people a long admonition on how to behave themselves in a meditation center. Of course, this didn't change or even improve the situation. It only made me feel quite miserable. Later on, I was able to rejoice in these people's good heart and much-needed support for the center, and therefore that noise didn't bother me anymore. I felt a strong delight and joy and gratitude that through their generous dana, I and other meditators were able to practice meditation without having to care about preparing our own meals. The ability to rejoice in other people's happiness and success is also one of the four Brahma-viharas, one of the four divine abidings. It is called mudita. So if our minds are permeated with mudita or 
any of the other Brahma Viharas, then we are said to dwell like the Brahmas, which are divine beings living in the heavenly abodes. It is definitely a better way of spending our days and going through our life with a mind filled with mudita or any of the other Brahma Viharas, rather than being caught in unwholesome mental states such as anger, frustration, resentment, ill will, aversion or jealousy. I remember quite well the day when I gave away a dragon brooch, which was very, very dear to me. I got that dragon brooch many, many years ago when I was traveling in the States from some friends in California. And so I fixed that dragon brooch um, on my sweater around here a sweater that I always carried with me when I was traveling. So on my second trip to Ladakh, which is the Indian Himalayas, I stayed again for some weeks in a very remote village high up in the mountains. From the nearest road, it was five days walking and to get there, one had to cross two passes, which were about 17,000 feet high. So the people in that village were extremely kind and generous to me. Although they didn't have much, they gave what little they had. Almost every day, I got some fresh curd made from sheep milk. And in particular, that there was one family who kept feeding me with this delicious curd uh, almost every day, and probably then not getting anything for themselves. As a sign of gratitude and respect, I wanted to give them something. But Apart from my few clothes, from my tent and some cooking gear, I didn't have anything else with me. And I had nothing to give them as a present. And there was also no shop there. So my wish to give them something was really strong. But what could I give them? So then one day, the thought went to this dragon brooch. That would be a nice present, I thought. But to give away my most precious thing was a bit much, I thought. And so there was this battle going on in my mind. Should I give it? Should I keep it? Should I give it? Finally, I decided to give it away. It wasn't an easy decision, but I felt I had the opportunity to buy such a dragon brooch somewhere else again, whereas this family had no means to do so. So then I gave it to the mother of the family, who seemed to be very happy to get it, and immediately she fixed it on her woolen head that she and other Ladakhi people are wearing all the time, during, even in summertime. A few days later, there was a little festival in this village, and some people from uh, very small village, villages or hamlets from nearby also came. And so, on that day, I noticed that the dragon brooch was on the chest of one of the young women coming from nearby. 
I was very surprised and upset. My first reaction was, how can you dare to give away my most precious present to you? How can you dare to give it to that person? It was meant for you. Didn't you know how much it costs to let me go of it in order to give it to you? You are supposed to keep it for the rest of your life. As my mind was raving with these kinds of thoughts, a soft voice um, came up in my mind and whispered, Hey, isn't it amazing how generous this woman is? She doesn't cling to anything. Whatever she has, she gives away. Probably I have done her a great favor in giving it to her so that she could give it to somebody else. Giving it away as a present made her happier than keeping it for herself. So in this way, my heart slowly opened up and in the end, I fully could rejoice in her selfless and generous act that she had done. In the context of the Brahma Viharas, when we develop mudita, sympathetic joy, we are advised to take a sentence like, may your good fortune not be reduced, or a sentence like, may you not be separated from the happiness and success that you have achieved. Focusing on the happiness and success of others, we cultivate and strengthen this ability to fully feel happy from the bottoms of, the heart, of our heart when somebody else is happy or successful. There is an interesting analogy for mudita which illustrates the kind of joy that we are supposed to develop and cultivate. It says, the image given for boundless sympathetic joy is that of a mother camel finding her lost calf. Of all animals, camels are considered the most affectionate mothers. If a mother camel loses her calf, her sorrow is correspondingly intense. But should she find it again, her joy knows no bounds. That is the kind of sympathetic joy that we should try to develop. Mudita, or sympathetic joy, is often a bit overlooked. Mudita's big sister, Metta, is much better known and more commonly practiced. Although in practicing loving-kindness, the joy in the success and happiness of others is also included, we often neglect to specifically cultivate the quality of rejoicing. If we, if we develop and cultivate our hearts and mind, first of all, to see and acknowledge, and then secondly, to fully rejoice in other people's happiness and success, then we are much less prone to be overcome with negative mental states, such as envy, jealousy, avarice, or hatred. With the practice of mudita, we can make our mind more joyful. When there is a sense of joy in the practice, it uplifts our spirits and opens our hearts to the thousand little wonders and joys of life. Let's sit quietly for a few moments.
May there be joy in our hearts and may we become liberated from all that causes distress and suffering. Now let's chant the sharing of blessings. Now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration. Through the goodness that arises from my practice, may my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world. May the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, May those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, may all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing, may all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth, may I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge. Unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble Lord. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be dispelled. <laughs>